chapter 28. What did you learn in church today? I don't know. We saw some Taylor Swift song being played. In that video or in the song, when you look at the lyrics, it's about shaking off bad experiences. Uh, in her particular case, it was shaking off a bad love uh, experience. Um, but shake it off is, anybody ever played sports, right? Uh, that's, a, that's a term we use in sports all the time. Ah, shake it off. It's all right. You know, when you get beamed by the pitcher or the pitcher gets beamed by the batter or, or whatever the case may be, somehow you get hurt a little bit. With, ah, shake it off. Shake it off. In other words, don't let it have an effect on you. Anybody ever been in a, a sporting event or a ball game when one thing goes wrong, it seems like it then spirals complete out of control. And we keep using the term shake it off. Well, we want to look at what Paul did in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to stick to that theme of shaking it off. And we're going to talk about what that means, uh, spiritually speaking. If you haven't figured out the world has gone just nuts, if you haven't figured that out, right, all you got to do is go home and watch the news, right? The world has gone nuts. But not only that, is the world is now putting out ideology that if you don't follow, if you don't track with their way of thinking, then there's havoc that, that is, ensues upon that. If you don't think like the world does or you don't accept their version of right. Um, matter of fact, the world would say that, you know, if you care about this, then you don't care about that. Right? As if you can't care about two things at the same time. And it's time that, you know, it's time that we live in such a way that uh, allows us to continue living a life of Christ without being stained by those things. Without not allowing those things to, to get us spun up and not allowing those things to take us to a place that's unhealthy spiritually. But not only that, but also dishonors God in the way that we act and the things that we say and the things that we do. And so we want to look at this scripture and, and, and we want to look at an, an application, if you will, um, based upon this scripture. So Acts chapter 28, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Um, it's, uh, the scripture's already loaded up in the app if you have your app open or your Bible. Um, but if you would, stand to your feet with me and let's, uh, let's read this text. And then we're going to pray and then we're going to get into God's word. Uh, starting in verse 1, it says this, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all. But because it had begun to because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, he put them on a fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their mind and said that he was a God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be in your word. And Lord, we just pray today, uh, Father, that our hearts will be open to receive your word. That we'll, Lord, uh, be open, Lord, and receptive to your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, for our strengthening and growing closer to you. Uh, help us, Lord, to receive your word, Lord, with uh, Lord, with love and respect, uh, and help us, Lord, to apply it to our lives so that we may grow stronger in you 
and bring you glory, Lord, in a world that is just, uh, just bent uh, on tearing you down. Lord, we love you today, and we pray these, these things, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So here we have the last chapter of the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, uh, when you look at the book of Acts, it's a two-volume set, right? The book of Luke and the book of Acts was both written by Luke, the physician. So the book of Luke is kind of volume one, um, which leads up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then we see Acts is, picks up um, you know, when the, the, the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and, and also, well, it actually picks up when, right before that happens, when the disciples were in the upper room and realizing that they had to replace uh, Judas, who went and hung himself because... Uh, of his uh, heart and his, um, I don't know, really, I guess, guilt, if you will. Uh, he went out and hung himself because of what he had done. And so this is volume two, and this is the end of that. This is the end of volume two. And so it kind of brings things to a close. And here, in chapter 28, we see that Paul has landed on this island called Malta. By the way, Malta means refuge, which is very interesting. Because for you to truly, to really get all of what's happening here, you really got to go back and pick up chapter 27. And you will find that they had set sail. Uh, and they were trying to get to another place where they could weather out the winter. And Paul said, listen, uh, we shouldn't go. We shouldn't go. Now, Paul's a prisoner of Rome. So he's already appealed to Caesar. He stood before Agrippa. You remember Agrippa's famous words that, you know, uh, you almost persuaded me, Paul? You know, or, or, and some people think that it was more of a rhetorical question, which I, I believe it was. You, know, you think you're going to persuade me in this time to be a Christian? Uh, and Agrippa found that there, was nothing, that there was nothing worth punishing Paul for, that, it really, that he was innocent of anything that was worthy of being imprisoned, but because, he said, but because he has appealed to Caesar, then he must go to Rome. And so there, they, they, they set out uh, trying to make it to another place, and I forget the name of it, and they're going to weather out the winter there and then make their own way to Rome. And Paul tells them, we should stay right here. It's going to get bad. It's going to be awful. But the captain of the ship wouldn't hear of it, uh, and the soldiers made the decision to listen to the captain of the ship instead of listening to Paul. And so Paul warned them not to sell out, but they did anyway. Then they encountered a terrible storm. Matter of fact, uh, you've heard the term Northeaster, right? Well, it's actually in the scriptures, right? In chapter 27, they ran into a Nor'easter. Uh, and it was this terrible storm. On day two, they actually jettisoned all the cargo. That means they threw the cargo overboard. On day three, they threw the ship's tackle overboard trying to lighten the ship so that they could try to stay afloat uh, in this storm. They went 14 days without eating. 14 days. you imagine that? Listen, big boy, I don't go 14 hours. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, you know, I listened to one person talk about they went on a diet and said it was the scariest two hours of their life, right? And for 14 days they didn't eat, but finally Paul spoke up and said, listen, the Lord's told me that we're going to be okay and that everyone will make it out. There will not be loss of life. So we've been at it for 14 days. Take something and eat something. 
and they, 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 they found that they were getting closer to land because they measured the depth uh, in fathoms. And so they, they took and they ate, and then they threw the rest of the wheat and stuff overboard at that point as well. They got rid of everything. I mean, they're, they're doing everything they can to try to survive this terrible storm that lasted at least 14 days that we know of. And then they land at the island of Malta, meaning, and the name Malta means refuge in the Greek. And that's kind of a fitting name, isn't it? And so now that they have suffered this huge ordeal, they finally land at this place, and it turns out that the people they run into this land were very kind people. The people there, it says, had unusual kindness. In other words, they were very, very kind to them. And so they get them there, they start these fires, and they try to get them realize they're wet, they're cold, now it's starting to rain. I mean, there was just, you know, can you imagine going through that whole mess? I'm sure they were just completely wore out. And so there they are, the islanders are helping, taking care of them. And so, but then we have, this, we have Paul, and we see Paul's servant heart in this. Because after all that he'd been through, if I'd have been Paul, I'd been laying, I'd been laying down next to the fire with the rest of them. But that's not who Paul is. That's not his character. Paul, Paul knew that, 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 that Christ came to serve, and because of that, he also wanted to live as Christ and also serve the needs of others. And so instead of Paul just laying around, Paul does what? Paul decides to tend to the fire and help out to make sure that all the guys are good and warm and get dried out. And in the midst of doing that, in the midst of doing additional work, are you, you, do you get the picture here? Paul's been through a huge ordeal, and now everybody's laying by the fire, and they're trying to you know, regain their composure and get dry and warm up. And Paul could have just done the same, but instead Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to still help out. I still have a servant's heart. I still want to be there for these guys, and I want to help provide for their comfort. So Paul is now gathering up sticks to kind of load up these fires to help out. I mean, what a great guy, right? What a great guy that would be willing, when he had every right to just lay around like everybody else did. No, he didn't do that. Instead, he's here helping and stoking the fire. And in the middle of that, bam, a viper comes out and latches onto his hand. I don't know about you, but if it be, that would have been a straw that broke the camel's back. You know what I'm saying? All right, Lord, 14 days we tossed and turned, and I prayed, and you spoke to me, and after all I've been through, now I get here on this safe island with these nice people, and I'm still trying to help people. I'm still trying to be a servant, and now this. Now you send a snake my way? Now, first off, we know that this snake must have been one of them bad to the bone two-minute snakes. Y'all know what I mean by two-minute snake? Because the islanders knew what this viper was, and they were waiting for him to fall over dead. I mean, it wasn't, one, you know, it wasn't like a copperhead to make you sick. I'm talking, it's one of them, them adders, them black mammas or something like that, that when they bite you, like you ain't got time to say your prayers. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, Lord, dear, you know, done. And so the islanders just waiting for him to fall over dead. Now, if it had been me, it could have been a garter snake. It could have been one of them little snakes that Terry was playing with the other day. Look, if it had bit me, gone. I'd have just had a heart attack right on the spot. I don't care what. It could have been a rubber snake. If it come out of that fire and it lashed on my hand, I don't care how poisonous it was. I can tell you Big Daddy would have gone down. 
But this snake latches onto him. And they're waiting there. They're like, well, this guy is surely. Matter of fact, what did they say about him in the scriptures that we just read? Think about what they said about him. They said, oh, even though he escaped the shipwreck, justice is surely coming to him. He must be a murderer or something. Because they thought that this was the God's way of paying him back. You may have made it through the shipwreck, but now you're still going to get justice. And they waited for him to die. And the thing is, this got everybody's attention. I mean, they're instantly now watching and waiting for Paul to die. And they just thought for sure that he was guilty of something. And that this is justice being served. And you know, the thing is, in the world today, when bad things happen, don't we all a lot of times thinking that we've done something wrong? You ever got that? You ever had some, a tough time? You're like, God, what did I do? God, what is this for? You know, why do I deserve this? You know, why, why is this happening? I must have done something bad. Not only do you think that, but people around you think the same thing, right? These people just thought for sure Paul was guilty of something. And a lot of times the world looks at us and, and, and they jeer at us, even to the point like, well, uh, is, that, is that how your loving God treats you? Is that how God does things? You must have done something wrong or your God does not love you. One of the two things. And the problem is, is the world's looking at us, and a lot of times when we tell people that we love God, and then we experience tragedy in our life, what, is, what, what does the world do to us? The world looks at us and like, huh. They either think either that our God is not worthy of worship, or that we have done something terribly wrong. And both of those could be absolutely false. Is there a judgment that comes along with sin? I mean, are there effects of sin? Yes. I mean, we know that sin has no hold of, over us as believers, that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, but don't act like there's not consequences to things we do wrong. You will live with consequences. But our life is saved. Amen? But a lot of times we've done absolutely nothing. But that's a vice of Satan. Satan wants, to, Satan wants to make you think that now because you're experiencing hardship and because you have this thing going on that somehow you've done something. or you know. And I, a long time, for a long time, I lived like that. For a long time, I think that because of some of the things I did earlier in my life that I didn't deserve anything good. But finally, in the scriptures, I realized that none of us deserve anything good and that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short... Right? So listen, we all deserve death, but I realize that God does not treat us that way. But the simple fact is, is we're here for his glory, and a lot of times it takes an event of catastrophic proportion for people to actually see God's glory because they don't see the little things. I mean, I can walk outside and look at the Blue Ridge Mountains and I can see God's glory, but a lot of people just look at that and say, well, that's the, the result of, of living on this earth for 40, 40 million years or whatever they think it is these days, right? And they don't see God's glory. So a lot of times people aren't going to see God's glory even though it surrounds them every day according to Romans 1. We can see by the things that God has made that He exists, but they don't see that. So the only way they're going to see God is for something of kind catastrophic proportion happen and see the strength of God through the process, then they will see. And as followers of Christ, as those who love Christ, then we have to be willing to face these challenges, amen, with a mind of Christ, knowing that I'm here for his glory. And sometimes the only way he's going to be magnified and glorified is through tough times that sometimes I have to walk through with his help. 
Now listen, they, they don't teach that in the health and wealth gospel. They don't tell you, you're going you're gonna, to uh, endure hard times. And you know what? And sometimes it's, it's, it's not anything that you've done wrong. It's none of that. It's just literally, you're going to walk through a tough time so that your faith may be strengthened and those around you may see the glory of God through you. And we have to be okay with that. That's big boy gospel. That's what I call that. That's putting on your big boy gospel britches or your big girl gospel britches. This ain't this, you know, these things that a lot of times are being taught today uh, is just simply poison because it's not the gospel. Jesus said that as he suffered, sometimes we'll have to suffer too. So Paul didn't do anything wrong, but the people of Malta don't know that yet. But it says that then as they watched him and waited for him to fall dead, when they realized that it had no effect on him. Now listen, stay with me. When they realized it had no effect on him, they realized he was different. And so maybe a question that I could ask of you today that I have to ask of myself is, is is the world having an effect on me? Is the world having an effect on you? and how you operate in the things that you say and how you see the world. Because the world is full of venom and is very poisonous. And we got to make sure that we walk in a way that is respectful before God and that shows that we truly trust God for all things and that we don't allow ourselves to be rattled by the things of the world because I have no reason to fear and neither do you if you know Christ. But one of the hard things to endure one of the hard things to do when we're going through tough times is first off, is Satan not trying to beat in our brain that somehow we deserve what we've got. You deserve this bad time. You've done something wrong. And this is how God is treating you. And listen, we couldn't be further from the truth. But it's hard to endure. I was, as I was thinking and going through this passage and really start to think about, you know, what it'd be like to be Paul after going through that shipwreck and telling guys that, you know, God spoke to me and then all of our lives are going to be spared. And for them to all of a sudden, why he's trying to care for them. Right? I'm sure he's tired like everybody else, but even in that process, he's helping people. And in the middle of that, he gets latched on by a viper. And it took, me to, uh, it took me to the book of Job. Do y'all remember Job's friends? You remember them fellers? I want to read you a couple passages from Job. Now, this is kind of sometimes what it's like for us to walk with Christ and to know that, that listen, that we haven't done anything specifically to deserve this issue. We're not being punished, I should say that. We're not being punished by God. We're just enduring a time that has a purpose. And I have to see it for that. But listen, but when we surround ourselves with the wrong people, or we allow the wrong people to speak into our hearts, we will be as far from the truth as we can get. And it doesn't take long to go from zero to 100 like that. Listen to Job's friends. I mean, with friends like this, nobody needs enemies. He had these three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Bubba, Skeeter and Junebug. That's what I'm, right? That's Bubba, Skeeter, and Junebug. That's what it would be like today if it was some of my friends. So in Job chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, but it's actually in your app if you want to follow along. But in Job chapter 4 and also in chapter 5, we see Eliphaz speaking to Job. And look at what he says. Remember who that was innocent. Remember who that was innocent ever perished. Or where were the upright cut off? 
As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. You know what his friend is saying? Eliphaz is looking at Job and said, Job, I ain't never seen nobody get this kind of treatment that didn't deserve it. You must have done something. Whatever it is, Job, I confess the thousand. You, you got you listen, guys don't got it, you done done something. Then later on in chapter five, he says, As for me, I like this friend. Job, I know you're guilty of something because none of this happens to somebody who's innocent. And then he goes on to say, As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Job, I know you did something, but if it were me, I'd go to the Lord. If it be me, I'd be turning to God because I'm godly. That's what he's saying. I'm godly, Job, unlike you. You've obviously done something terrible. Has anybody ever been through a rough spot and the devil really get on you and just you think that you're a terrible person and you think it's happened because you just failed him and you failed him so many times that you just now think that this is the way God's going to treat you? Listen, don't let... Don't let that lie. Don't let that lie of Satan, don't let it speak to you. Reject his poison. Reject those words of the deceiver because it couldn't be further from the truth. God loves you and he cares for you. And if you're going through a rough patch, sometimes we just have to. Why? Because the only way we're going to see God's power is for him to have to do something that we can't do on our own. Sometimes the only way the world is going to see God's power is by seeing us struggle and knowing that we rely on God. And the difference of whether they'll see the glory of God is really based on our attitude as we go through it. What is our attitude like? How are we reacting to this? Are we reacting scripturally, counting it all joy, as James said? Do we appreciate the fact that we know that God has a purpose and are we living in such a way that we know that there is an intended purpose? Because if we know that there's a reason, it sure is a lot easier to endure. In verse 17 of chapter 5, he says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves, therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Now Eliphaz is telling Job, Well, Job, you know God, you know, God disciplines the one he loves, so just be glad that he loves you. And don't, you know, don't get upset at his rebuke. I guess you'll make it. You'll live through. I mean, am I the only one that wants to reach back in time and smack Eliphaz like across the chops, right? Like, what a friend. It gets better. Here's Bildad, right? Here's Bildad. That was Eliphaz's Bubba. This is Skeeter, right? Bildad. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, he says this, And Bildad the Shuite answered and said, How long... Will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right? What he's saying is, because Job, right, if you look at Job responding back to Eliphaz, you'll see that Job says, listen, I haven't done anything. I, I, I don't know why this is happening, but I, I didn't do some great sin that you think I did. Because they're like, you need to confess, Job. You just need to come clean. Job's like, I didn't do anything. What? I didn't do nothing. And so now Bildad is, how long are you going to let that hot wind come out of your mouth? How long are you going to stand there and say you didn't do something? You need to come clean, Job. You know you did it. You know you done done it. Come clean. How long are you going to let that hot air come out of your mouth? 
saying you didn't do something. Does God, does God pervert justice? In other words, does God not punish people who, does God punish people who don't deserve it, Job? Hard times are not necessarily judgment at all. Just God's way of doing things. Job chapter 11, now his third buddy, Junebug, Zophar. Junebug says this, then Zophar, probably somebody watching named Junebug, they probably wouldn't be very happy with that, would they? Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men and when you mock shall no one shame you? For you say my doctrine is pure and I'm clean in God's eyes. But oh that God would speak and open his lips to you that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom for he is manifold in understanding. Know, that then, know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. You know what he's saying? You probably deserve even worse. I mean, all of his cattle's killed, all of his children are gone. Think of all that he suffered. And this friend, he's so nice, he says, you probably deserve worse. What a terrible friend. But doesn't that sound a lot like what the deceiver does to us when we struggle? Isn't that what it sounds like in your ears? That's what it sounds like in mine. These voices that are just saying, you know, well, Huff, you know, you done done a bunch of stuff. And, you know, this is, how, this is what you should expect. This is how God's going to treat you. Some nice, loving God, isn't he? And that's just the deceiver talking. But we know this has a purpose, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But here's the problem. We also have to come to that place where we also decide, because sometimes it's Satan speaking to us in, in his ways, and sometimes it's actually people, because if we're not careful, we'll so desire the acceptance of other people and, and, and want to be affirmed by other people that we'll listen to what people say instead of what God says. We'll start following the ways of man who does, does not know and does not have the wisdom that God has. But yet we seem to want the acceptance of man because man is here and I can physically be in the room with him or with her. And we want that acceptance. So there's Job is holding, Job is holding fast to the fact that, you know, I haven't done anything. And we know that Job didn't do anything to deserve that. But it was simply God showing Satan the faithfulness of his people. And we have this wonderful story of Job 2,000, 3,000 years later, and we're still talking about it and saying his name. So think about how God has been glorified by what Job went through. There was a purpose for it. But the problem is, is sometimes, is sometimes it's not just Satan, it's agents of Satan in the way of people who call themselves friends. Or people who we, we try to help and we want to do good for, and then they turn back around and bite us. Anybody ever had that happen? You try to do good for people, try to do something right, and then you're the one that ends up getting blasted for it. And sometimes that's how it goes. Right? You, you, you think about Paul there, and he picks up sticks, and this, this, you know, this viper clamps down on him, and they're like, oh, well, you know, he's guilty. Wait for him to die. And I'm sure everybody else was sitting around waiting, too, just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. And I wonder, you ever wonder how Paul felt when they must have been whispering? Paul may have been walking back to another fire and tripped. Oh, he's going down. Just talking about him, was waiting for him to die, and Paul in his heart knowing that he didn't do anything wrong. It hurts. 
It hurts when people talk bad about you when you're actually doing something good. It hurts when people come back and they lash out at you when all you're trying to do is love them and bring them comfort and help them in their life. But that's what happens sometimes. But we have to come to that place in our mind that we know that God knows and that God sees. And I'm more concerned with laying treasures up in heaven than I am getting the applause of man. Even to the point when I try to do good for someone, even if they don't see it as good. As long in my heart as I know that I did what God called me to do and that God's okay with it, then they're just going to have to talk about me and that's just the way it is. Because we have to make that decision at some point in our lives. We're going to have to decide, do I want people to like me? Or do I want God to be pleased with me? Which one are we going to choose? The problem is, is a lot of times people who say they love Christ, they love other people more because when we see that God says this and people say this, and then we choose the other route that's anti what God says, then we realize is that we have now made gods out of those people. Why? Because we are worshiping at their feet. Well, I don't worship people. If we're worried about what people say about us more than worried about what God knows about us, then we have very much so made a God out of those people. And we've elevated them above the one true living God. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now think about what he's saying here. The fear of man. In other words, you know, the, the, when, when I am in awe of people, when I am in awe of, of mere mortal men and women, and a lot of times we are in awe of people who have high lofty positions, whether it be celebrities or people that are in political power and all those kind of things. When we become in awe of them to the point that we'll even accept their behavior when it doesn't match Scripture and yet follow them anyway, then who, who, who are we idolizing? We're making an idol out of that person. We're making them a God in our life, and we're elevating them above what God says is right. And we live in a culture today where it's so polarized, it's so divided, that if you, you, know, if you speak out against you know, someone or an action of someone, all those people who love that person will, oh, listen, well, you know, you can't, you, you can't even uh, be criti critical of even people that we put in power in this day and age that we live in. If you're critical of that, well, you know, you must not love God. You know, you must not want the right thing to be done. Listen, I want the right to be thing to be done in all aspects, not just a few. If we're not careful, we'll respect men way more than we respect God because we'll worry about what they think or what they're doing. And I want you to realize that, listen, uh, you, you can't just look at the end result. You have to look at the means to the end. We can't do wrong in, in, if, the, if the outcome is, is right and pleasing to God, but yet we did it in a way that was not pleasing to God. We can't say, well, the end justifies the means. That's not how God works. You see, God is never going to call us to do something that is wrong against his character to get an end result. Why? Because God can get results he wants without it. Amen? God doesn't need me to go rogue for him and be an undercover agent. He doesn't need me to go rogue and, well, you know, I'm going to kind of go under the radar and do that which is wrong, but the end result's going to be what we want. 
you know, that, the end result's going to be right. Listen, God doesn't need you to do that. Matter of fact, you dishonor him when we do these things. So if we're not careful, we'll look at it and we'll view what people think of us a lot. Listen, it's all over social media, right? I hear husband and wives arguing about people, you know, uh, you know one person had more, more people like their post than the other. Oh, like, good grief. Hey, at least it ain't Sal's this time. Sorry, babe. In, in a day in a culture now where we have, you know, instant, you know, everything, right? So, you know, I, I, I can, you know, I, I can go, you, did you ever think that you'd be able to record something live, or not even record it, you ever thought that you could take a little, little thing like this and go live and let the world see everything that you're doing? Did you ever think that you'd have that? We used to watch the Jetsons thinking it had never happened. You remember that? I remember Astro used to walk on the treadmill. Oh, wow, look at that thing. Well, that's something. Now everybody's got them in their houses. Remember when, when George Jetson would speak to Mr. Spacely on the video thing? Oh, wow, look at that. He could see him. Remember that? Well, that's going to be, that would be so cool. That's like Buck Rogers, you know what I'm saying? Just a couple young people are like, Buck Rogers, who in the world is that? And now we have it. And everybody wants to be famous if you haven't figured that out. Everybody wants to be the famous to the point that, like, people that are doing stuff online that they, you know, that, like, singing. Uh, if there's ever a person who's critical of music, it's me. I can't help it. But I don't know about you, but there's some people I just want to type a message, shut up. Right? You're hurting my ears. And I don't know what, everybody's now is giving their own personal concerts these days if you haven't figured that out, right? Everybody's like, I just, and everybody does it. And you ever notice the world does this? The world says, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this. I just thought maybe y'all could use this song, so I'm going to sing. It's like, well, if you, could, if you thought we needed a song, why didn't you get the good version of it and just play it? Why'd you got to sing to it? Because you just ruined that. Anybody ever ruin a song for you? You know what I mean? You ever heard a song, like, that's a beautiful song, then you hear somebody, like, take a hatchet to it, and you're like, Phew, I no longer like that song. But in the world today, everybody is always worried about who's seeing it, trying to get the most likes, trying to, you know, get the most attention, and it's a snare. It's a snare waiting to happen. Because I can tell you, these people that will go and will do things that is not pleasing to God and will do these things uh, just to get people to like us, and all it does is dig us deeper and deeper and deeper into a hole. Paul said, listen, uh, Paul, I'm sorry, Solomon said, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 13, he says, for if we are beside ourselves... It is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that the one who has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him for who, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. 
So think about what he's saying. It's, I no longer live for man's applause. I live for the glory of God. Because he's the one who's redeemed me. I gave him and I turned in a broken life to receive salvation and eternal life from him. So why would I worry about what man thinks of me when Almighty God sees everything? Amen. He sees everything and he is the one who's redeemed me. I love I mean, Chris and I have been friends a long time. I love him, and I know he loves me. But we should both love God more. And when I and listen, when it comes to a crossroad in there where I have to decide whether I want to keep a friend or I want to be pleasing the guy, there shouldn't be any discussion on the matter. We should always choose God. So listen, don't be surprised when you go through a tough spot if people aren't talking about you, judging you, saying all manner of things about you, even to the point where, you know, you know, all that Huff's done, he deserves it. It's probably God punishing him. Don't be surprised if those who don't know Christ start to even question the love of your God. Why? Because they can't understand how God loves everyone to the point that he'll allow and he'll take and allow those who are stronger to go through hard times so that the weaker may see and believe. And they can't grasp the fact that we're okay with that. Or at least we should be. So let's look at Paul's reaction. We talked about Paul what happened? We talked about how the people were looking at him and talking about him. He's getting ready to die. They judged him and all those things. But let's look at Paul's reaction. And the thing is, when we start looking at Paul's reaction, the first thing we got to look is what Paul did not do. Paul's tired. Even in his tiredness, he's still trying to, to be a servant to, to the guys there. He's trying to make sure they're warm. And you know what Paul did not do? He did not complain. He didn't curse. He didn't cry, woe is me. He didn't give up. He didn't ask the Lord how he could do this after all that he'd been trying to help people and make them comfortable. Why did you allow me? To, well, why did you allow this happen to me? I was just trying to help God. How come you let me experience it? We don't see any of that. We see nothing of the sort. Paul did not complain, he didn't cry, he didn't say, woe is me, he simply shook it off. That's it. And went on about his business. Here's what Dr. Guzik had to say. He said, Paul didn't let it bother him. He didn't scream, why God? I can't take any more of this. Or he didn't say, can't you see I'm serving you? Paul didn't look at those sitting by the fire and say, you lazy people, if you'd have gathered wood instead of me, this wouldn't have happened to me. Paul didn't say anything like that. There was no negativity in Paul. Paul just simply, simply shook it off into the fire and went on about his business. And listen, can you see, can you see what we're trying to get at here at this point? That viper, when it come out, listen, that viper has poison. And those fangs are hollow. And when that viper latches on, they'll start pumping that poison into, into your body, right? Start pumping that poison. That poison now will take effect and go all through you and make your whole body absolutely toxic. And that's what happens when we allow poison in our lives. Paul didn't stand there and cry about it. He didn't look at it. He, he, didn't, he didn't even curse the snake itself. He just simply shook it off. And listen, that's what we need to be able to do as Christians. The world is going to get worse and worse, and people are going to take their shots and their cracks at us, and it's going to get worse and worse, and we simply have to be able to just shake it off. Why? Because, listen, if we give them a minute of our time or of our energy, next thing you know, that toxic venom will be running in every aspect of our lives. 
It's toxic out there if you haven't noticed. Go on social media, it's toxic. Go to the news, it's toxic. And matter of fact, while we're trying to love people and while we're trying to teach truth, people will simply cry out against us and say that, that we are actually, they'll say that we're racists, we're bigots, we're all these things, and we absolutely care about nobody. That's what they'll say when we stand on the Word of God and we claim it to be the Almighty God's truth that is good for all times. It's the inspired, inerred Word of God, and what it says is absolutely true. And when we stand upon these things and the values that are in the Scriptures, people are going to hate us for it, and they're going to try to spread their venom in us and latch on to us. And listen, if we're not able to shake it off into the fire, if we're not careful, we'll get drugged down and we'll drown in it. Sal and I was listening to uh, Tim Keller, um, and last night we went back and I had to go listen to another part again. And I wasn't listening to it as in a part of a study for this, uh, for this sermon, uh, but I found myself kind of glued to it. And Tim Keller had been a pastor in New York City. He's also written a lot of books. If you ever look up Tim Keller, I mean, it's, you know, it, you can find a lot of stuff on him. And uh, just, a, just, just a, a great all-around, you know, uh, theologically sound teacher and preacher. Does a wonderful job. But he was talking about, you know, they were talking about evangelizing in the post-Christian world. And that's what we are now, we're post-Christian world. He said, you know, when you go back and you look at our parents, you know, in our parents' day and age, uh, you know, how did you evangelize them? Well, you, you told them that there was a remedy for their guilt. Because they tried to be good people, but they know that they failed. And when they would fail doing, you know, in trying to do good, they would feel bad about it. And what, what they do, they, you know, how do you evangelize that? You offer Christ. Right? You offer them the message of Christ and how he died for their sins, so they no longer have to live in guilt. And that they would have relief from carrying the pain of guilt in their lives. He said because it wasn't a matter of having to actually build a foundation of telling them who Christ was. Because at that, in that time and in that age, you know, the majority of people, it was, they didn't question whether God existed. The real question was would God love them in spite of who they were. But now we live in a day and an age where, listen, you just can't say, well, Christ is the answer. Now, we know that Christ is the answer, but listen, how is Christ the answer when they don't believe Christ existed? How is God the answer when they don't believe in God? You see, we've got to look at life differently. and We've got to be able to make sure that, that we're living and that we're studying and that we become relevant. We have to understand the culture that we live in. And he says this. He said, the culture today has been boiled down to four things. Four things that you will find that are important. And in any kind of, any kind of offering of the gospel has to address these four things. But the problem is, is there's a disconnect and a divide right down between them. He said, here's the four things. He said, first off, the gospel has to address racial inequality. And it does. Because the gospel says that we're all equal in God's eyes. God loves us. He loves all of us regardless of race or ethnicity. Uh, it does not matter. right? God loves us exactly as we are. So racial inequality. And, and then... There is the aspect of taking care of the poor and the marginalized. 
Right? Taking care of the poor. Uh, the gospel has got to address helping the poor. The gospel has to address those who have been marginalized uh, and those who have been done wrong and those who are being overlooked and are suffering without food, without water and shelter and clothes and all those things. Right? Sounds like the, well, sounds like the left, right? I mean, it's gotten to the point that, that the issues of our day have been kind of divided into a blue category and a red category. And I think you know what I mean. Right? So we have racial inequality and we have taking care of the poor and the marginalized. But then on the other side, there are other two other things that are very important in this day and culture that have to be addressed in the gospel. And that is what? That is pro-life. Right? People care. Right? So it's pro-life versus a woman's right to choose. Right? Pro-choice. And then the other thing is that we have to stand upon in the scripture that today's culture argues over is the fact that sex was designed to be between a man and a woman in marriage. Amen? But the thing is, the gospel addresses all four of these. But even churches have been split down the middle. Why? Because we see now that those who are among the, the, the liberal scholars, they say that, you know, uh, that, that those on the conservative side, that they don't care about the LGBTQ, uh, all those letters, community. Right? They, don't, they, we, they say because we stand upon God's word that we, are, that we don't love those people, and that couldn't be further from the truth. And they also say that, listen, that, that, that those who, who, you know, who actually hold like a pro-life stance, they don't look at it and say that we're wrong because we value life. They say because we don't value the choice that we are attacking those who are minorities and also the poor and the dejected because it seems that having that choice is more of an economic issue in most cases and they see that the abortion rates uh, in, the, in the, uh, the more run-down neighborhoods and things like that, I mean, I there's no easy way to say this, folks, by the way. I'm trying to pick my words wisely, but you get the idea. They say because we're pro-life that we don't care about minorities, that we don't care about, care about single moms, and we don't care about those because we hold to a pro-life stance. Can you see where how all this big divide is coming in? But the simple fact is, is the gospel demands, amen, the gospel demands that we love each and every person the same. The gospel demands that we care about one another and love those who are even doing that, which is despicable in God's eyes. Why? Because Jesus died for them too, because we've all sinned and we've all gone astray. The gospel demands that we address all four of those things because the gospel addresses it. But instead, we're being tore apart. Well, if you're pro-life, then you're a racist bigot. I mean, you know I'm right. Go watch the news. You'll see it. Now, that couldn't be further from the truth. But that's how man has now divided things. We have everything so divided that even now the church is divided among those liberals who say that they're the ones that care about the people because they care about racial equality and they care about the poor and the marginalized. And then you got the other side saying, no, we're right because we're pro-life and we care about life from conception on and that we care about the sanctity of marriage when the simple fact is both sides ought to come together because we ought to care about all four of those things and ought to address it according to the scripture 
So listen, does it hurt when you know that you, you know, does it hurt to, to say that I'm pro-life and then be called a racist bigot because they think somehow that I am anti those uh, who are in a minority because I hold to a pro-life stance? I mean, in a normal, if you'd have told me 20 years ago that there would have been a connection between those two things, I'd have told you you're crazy. But yet we hear it all the time. We don't, you know, we don't care about women. We don't care about minorities because we hold to a pro-life stance and we want to you know, snuff out abortion in our country. But because of that now, well, you can't, you can't love life over here. If you love life over here, then, you've gotta, then you're hating these people because these people are the ones that need those. That's what society says today. And if we're not very careful, we'll buy into that rhetoric. You see, that's why I really feel that God is, is pressed upon my heart to say, listen, we've got to address the issues. Quit backing the horse. Start talking about the race. Start talking about the issues. Because it's come down now, it's a matter of red and blue, isn't it? I mean, and listen, it ain't going to get no better until after November, and I'm not even sure that even after November it'll be over with because who's to say whether they'll contest the result. I, I don't even think words can describe what we're going to see soon. And I'm sure generations before us have probably said something like this before. And, and I'm sure you didn't mind me saying, me and Randy were talking about this earlier, right? Uh, you know, I'm sure there's been generations before us that said, this will be the most important election we've ever seen in our life. I think we're getting ready to see the most important we've ever seen in our lifetime. But the thing is, we as a church cannot stand divided. So listen, think about the poison that the world says. The, the world, when you're trying to love people, they'll call it hate. And the Bible even says that that would happen. That people would call bad things good and good things bad. But listen, we cannot allow that to have effect because we'll get caught up in the rhetoric. We get caught up in those things. We'll find ourselves at, at some point arguing over things and allowing things to kind of take over uh, in our conversations that really have no bearing, and we'll, be, we'll actually get way off path. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in a dark depression just like a lot of the world is today. Why? Because all we ever see is bad stuff, bad stuff. Hate, hate, hate. That's all we're seeing is hate. And listen, if we allow that, that, that poison to get in our lives, it will make us completely toxic if we're not careful. So when I look at Paul and I think about all that he's been through and he's tired and he's weary, but even then he's still trying to be a servant. He's still trying to take care of people. And then in the midst of that, the viper comes at the worst time. But Paul did not let it get him down. Paul did not say, woe is me. Paul shook it off into the fire because that's where it belongs. And that's what you and I are going to have to learn to do today. We're going to have to learn that people are going to say things about us. People are going to try to do things to us. But listen, you know what? Shake it off into the fire and do not allow it to grab a hold of you. Do not allow your life to be affected by it. Why? Because when the world sees that you're affected by these things, when they can talk about you and, 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 and bash your character and then change what you do and then start seeing you operate in a way that's inconsistent with the Scriptures to now where I start arguing over things and I start to act in an ungodly way, then they'll be like, aha, you're no different than anybody else. 
The world needs to see something different, and the only way they're going to see it is if the hearts of those who say they love Christ will keep our eyes fixed on Him and Him alone and not worry about the acceptance of man. If you love me, great. I want to be your friend. If you don't love me, then listen, I will still be your friend, and you can still call me when you're in need. Why? Because the Bible drives me to love you in spite of who you are to do good to our enemies, to feed them, to clothe them. Do you think everybody that comes up upstairs actually appreciates what's done up there? No. We don't do it for the appreciation. It's not done for that reason. It's done so that God is glorified. And there will be people who will be blinded to God's glory. But listen, and you may, you, you may it, that'll get you down alone. Well, they don't see. They don't see how hard I'm trying. They don't see what all we're trying to do. Listen, I understand they don't see, but don't discount the one who does. There may be somebody who sees that may not say it to your face, but we're planting seeds. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered. We, we have no idea what could be going on in the hearts of people that may have been mean to us to our face, but later on got to thinking about the love and the care that we showed them in spite of their nastiness. And maybe in the still of the night, when they're trying to sleep, they're now thinking about, why did this person love me? I was so rude. Why did they love me? Planting that seed. This is what we need to be doing. The world's going to say all manner of things. The world's going to wait for you to... I like it. They were waiting for Paul to swell up. You can use that term for other things too, right? You ever tell you, oh, look, he all swelled up. Right? You ever seen somebody get mad and then next thing you know, they, they can get mad. They're sitting on a bar stool. Everything's good. Then they get madder. Next thing you know, they suck it in the gut, right? Starting to try to look like Sean, Right? problem is i gotta i gotta take in air it sooner or later right or exhale right he looks like that regardless of how he breathes i'd be like go around the corner Whew. that was tough they were waiting for him to swell up and you know what the world's waiting for you to do swell up so that they can say that you're no different than them because you know what they'll say if you're a christian if you are how a christian acts then i'm gonna be fine if you get to go to heaven the way you act, then I'm going to be okay. That's what the world says. They'll justify themselves. Now listen, they can justify themselves in that way, but that will, not be, that will not work when they stand before God. But listen, don't we care about how they are when they stand before God? Because if we love God with our heart, mind, and soul and love our neighbors ourselves, then I should care that one day they're going to stand before a holy God and they're going to give an account for their life. And so why don't I want to take every opportunity to live in a way that's consistent with Christ so that they may see? They need me to shake it off in the fire. They need to see that it's not going to have an effect on me. Why? Because when they realize it does not have an effect on me and it doesn't have an effect on you, then that will make them start asking why. Paul said this in Galatians 1.10, it says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We got to make sure we realize that people are watching us. And if we're striving to bring him glory, then we don't have the time or luxury to engage 
and mindless arguments and foolishness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, it says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In Proverbs 26, Solomon gives these two statements, and they, they look almost as if they are contradictory. But you have to look at them in the full context, and you have to really think what's being said here. Proverbs 26, verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Sometimes people are going to ask you stupid questions. Not stupid questions. When, when I'm teaching class, I tell people there are no such thing as a stupid question. There is. There are stupid questions. Right? Can't help it. Now, what he's saying here, don't answer a fool according to his folly. There are going to be times where people are going to say, well, yeah, well, if God can do anything, then can he make a rock bigger than what he can pick up? Right? If God, you know, if God can do anything, then, you know, or if you say that God can do anything, then can he lie? If he, if he, can, if he can't lie, then he, can't, then he can't do anything. They will ask you trivial things like that because they don't want to, they don't want to admit that there's a God. By the way, there is an answer to that. We talk about God being omnipotent. It means he's all-powerful. But R.C. Sproul said it like this. He said, being all-powerful doesn't mean there are things that God can't do. There are things that God cannot do. God cannot act in a way that's inconsistent with his own sovereignty and his own righteousness. Therefore, God cannot do evil. So God cannot lie. Why? Because it would go against his own character and God will not go against himself. So we take God's omnipotence and we take it out of context, basically. And people will come up with those questions. And so you know what my answer is to those kind of things? If you really want to know the answer, I'd give it to you. If you really want to know the answer, I'd sit down and talk with you. But if all you're going to do is try to come up with those questions which you don't even realize how dumb they are, then, you know, when you're ready to talk, let me know. And I, I've had that talk with somebody at work before. They come up with, well, if God is, I'm like, listen, I don't really think you want to know. But if you do, I'd be more than happy to talk about it. But listen, be ready to sit down and talk. And be ready to have your ears open. And it's not going to be a two-minute conversation. So you let me know. I never want to turn away somebody who wants to know if they really want to know. Now, look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now, that sounds like the opposite of verse 4, does it not? Verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly. Verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly. What is the difference between these two things? Well, notice the end part of the verse. It says, lest he be wise in his own eyes. It says, listen, there, there is the one who is just wanting to poke fun and wanting to try to get your goat 
or, or try to get you off track, just you know, make you squirm. Those people that are doing that, they're not really interested. But then there are those who don't know anything that actually have an interest in why the question may seem dumb or stupid or trivial. If you don't give them an answer, then they're going to think that they're right. How do you know the difference? That's what I wrote down is, how do I know the difference? Here's the difference. The leadership of the Holy Spirit. But always err on the side of caution. There are some people that are going to try to get your goat, and they're going to try to do those things to you. And if they're doing it, especially when they do it in a spirit of meanness in front of other people, then realize that person really is not wanting to know the truth. But if there's any, if there's any, if there's just one sliver of light there, if you, if there's just one sliver that they're willing to listen, then listen. I always err on the side of caution and share it with them, even if they don't want to hear it. But those people who come and ask the same question, but they ask it when you're alone, and you can tell their tone, right? One of the gifts of the Spirit is, is the spirit of discernment. And that's something we should pray for. God, help me to see the difference. Help me to know when the right time is to answer and the right time to lay back and not answer. Help me to know when that is. Because I'm telling you, I, there's been times I've labored and I'm not talking just recent. I'm talking about probably for the last year or two. There's been times that I see things and I'm like, okay, do they really want an answer? Do they really want to know? Or it's hard. And so there's been times that I have private messaged people and just say, hey, I'm not sure if you're actually asking the question. If you are, I'd love to talk to you about it. Because sometimes having those things in public isn't really going to get us to where they're going to listen anyway. But Solomon's very, in, in all of his great wisdom, he gives us these two things. And we got to pray for God to give us the spirit of discernment so that we know the difference of when to speak up and when not to speak up. And it's hard sometimes. But always err on the side of cause. You know what that means? If I'm not sure, then I'm going to answer it. If I'm not sure, I would rather give them the gospel than not. And it's sometimes difficult. We live in that kind of society today. By the way, think about what happened after Paul shook the viper off. And that's what I'll close with right now. I'm going to read this, and I'll make a point, and then we'll, we'll be done. It says in Acts 28, starting at verse 7, it says, now, So now we're reading the rest of the story. Now, in the neighborhood of that place where land belongs to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when, he had taken, and when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They honored us greatly, and we were about to set sail. They put on board whatever we needed. Do you see what happened there as a result? Paul shook it off in the fire, didn't allow himself to be affected by that stuff. And then they realized that he was different. And now the chief of the island is now inviting him into his home. And now he has, he has needs. His father was sick. 
Other people on the island were sick and they were drawn to Paul. Why? Because they saw the power of God at work in their life. You see, when we're able to shake off the world and get rid of that venom and that not allow ourselves to be affected by that toxic, poisonous stuff that's being spewed out of so many, so many today, when we allow ourselves not to be affected by it, people do take notice. And they will see that the power and peace of God is resting upon us. And then they will allow us to speak into their life. But if we are, are full of rhetoric just like everybody else, then all they're going to see is a tit-for-tat thing. You know, I make a blue post, I make a red post. They make a red post, I make a blue post. You get the idea. All it does is go back and forth, and neither one thinks the other is open to even talking. It's when you can live without being affected and say, you know what? I want to address the issues. I don't want to talk about brand A or brand B. I want to talk about the people who are hurting because that is something that we can all identify with. How many people know somebody who's hurting? How many people who know somebody who needs health care? How many know somebody that's going through a tough time or in their marriage or the relationship? Listen, we could talk about it all day long. We all know people who are going through these things, and these things need real answers, and they need people to love them. So let's talk about that. When we can show that we can live in such a way that does not get us bound up in the junk, and instead we just continue to walk straight ahead and to love and do that which is God called us to do, they're going to want to know why. You are like that. What makes you different? What is it that you have? Because I want some of it because I have no peace in my life and you seem to have peace written all over yours. Why is it that you can continue to care for people who don't care for you? Where do you get that strength from? Listen, it comes from the Lord. I like what the psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We've got to show ourselves different. We've got to start shaking it off and just keep walking straight and let people see the goodness. Let people see the peace. Let people see the strength in you so that they will want to know too. I know several over the years, I know people that have come, uh, you know, it, it was interesting. I, I found hanging out with, with Chris when we did the ball thing uh, that there were people who knew his, he knew his life before and knew something was different. Now I'm just calling on Chris because he's sitting there and I know he'll let, he doesn't mind me using him as an example. That doesn't, that doesn't mean we're all perfect, but when they see a difference and there's something different about you, then they'll, they'll actually contact, hey, you know, I know that people have contacted him from that realm because they knew who he was before they see who he is now. Hey, man, I got an issue. Hey, man, I, I'm going through a tough time. Can we talk? Right? I've always said, listen, if you want results, then find someone who has the life that shows the results that you want and latch on to that person. Right? It's called mentoring. We should do that in the church. You see somebody that's strong in the Lord, when you're going through a problem, don't go, through, go to somebody else who's as weak as you are. Go to somebody else who seems to have, to have been able to, to conquer that area of their life and that has the results that you're looking for. Go talk to those people and ask those people to help you and to pray with you and, and help you look at the scriptures and so that you can have that same strength that they have. That's what the world does. That's what we should be doing as well. Got to shake it off. Because this world has got too much junk in it. And if we allow ourselves to get caught up, listen, it's hard. Sometimes you got to turn the daggone thing off every now and then, right? Sometimes you got to turn the phone off, turn all the other stuff off. Like, I'm just not taking that stuff in. 
I'm just not taking it in. I, 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 I want a clear conscience. I want a clear heart. And I want to be able to live in the peace that God has given me. And I'm not going to allow myself to take in all that junk. Now, should we be active as citizens of our country? Yes, we should. Should we, should we actively do our part that God has given us to do? Absolutely. Understand, I'm not saying unplug and not live a Christian life in this world, but I'm saying unplug from the rhetoric of it. Unplug and not worry about what people say anymore. Just start addressing the issues. You need help? I'll find you help. If I ain't got it, I'll find somebody who will. Right? You need someone to talk to? I'll be that person. You need someone to love on you? I'll be that person. You need someone to I'll be that person. Start addressing the issues where we can actually have an effect. You know how you stop abortion? You love on the people who are trying to make that decision. You love them. You can't stop it by law. You know that, right? Before it was legal, it was being done. And if we change the law tomorrow, it's still going to be done. It's the hearts of men and women that need changed. It's not the law. Would I like to see that thing overturned? Yes, but I am not, I, 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 in my mind, I, I'm just not, I, I know, scripturally speaking, that that law is not going to change them because the law, the law couldn't save Israel, could it? All the law does is expose what you're doing wrong. Only God can touch the heart. It's the hearts of men and women that we need to be after. Let's go do that. Let's go after that and glorify God and lift him high. Let the other people argue over the junk. There'll be plenty of that to go around. Let's just start loving. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?